Hey there, and welcome to The Job Lady, the podcast where we embark on a transformative journey to find your most compatible, in-demand, and high-wage career options. I'm your host, Dr. Amanda Brantley, and today we're diving into our very first episode. I am so excited. This might bury the lead, but I want to give you some insight into why I'm so amped up about talking to you about career choices and workforce development. So I'm going to assume you're thinking to yourself, and just who are you? Well, I have nearly 20 years in public education with an emphasis in career and technical education and workforce development. I've worked as a teacher, as a department chair, as a program coordinator, all the way up to the director level. In my current position, my duties include district-wide counseling and advising, career and technical education, all things college and career readiness for our students all the way from pre-kindergarten through 12th grade, and I support all of our high school programs, including our early college high school, our Pathways to Technology early college high school, our at-risk campus, and our disciplinary campus. When it comes to preparing students for their future, I'm either doing or directing the work. Helping students find their potential has always been my passion. But where I really found my passion for career-specific planning was in my job with the State Department of Education. In that role, I was the lead for something called Programs of Study. In that, we worked with industry, schools, parents, communities, to make sure that programs were lined out for students from 9th through 12th grade to lead them to in-demand, high-wage occupations. That's really the key for me, is the in-demand and high-wage. Anybody can get a job. Any job can pay a person. Not all jobs are going to be an occupation or a career. So what I want to do is help you set yourself up to be in line for those jobs that will have openings and will also pay you a livable wage. So let's kick things off by exploring the ever-evolving job market. We'll delve into the crucial worlds of labor market information and data sources that will help you identify the industries and occupations with the most potential. Get ready to uncover the secrets of job growth, salary trends, and the skills that you will need for success. Joining us today is my friend, Avery. She is a career and technical education coordinator who I've had the pleasure of working with on numerous projects. Avery is highly knowledgeable in all things career and technical education and labor market data. Uh, she is going to talk to us a little bit about how she uses those things for her programs within her school district. So Adrian, when you were designing a CTE program, what are the some of the things you look at to make sure it's the right option for your demographic of students? That's a great question. Um, and takes a little bit to think about. Um, when you're designing a CTE program of study, um, you know, you definitely want to be cognizant of several different things. Um, I think first off is, um, and alludes back to your intro, um, thinking through the labor market information and why we would have a program of study or a series of courses and experiences to ready a student if it wasn't going to get them to the next point in their pathway, if you will. So, um, Designing a program of study not only involves looking at the courses that may currently be offered in your high school um, or CTE center or wherever you offer CTE programming, um, but it's also taking a look at 
um, the outcome of those courses and experiences. So for example, um, there may be a time when there could be a really hot um, new company that's moving into the area and they're ready to hire on, you know, 500 people over the next five to 10 years or even sooner in some cases. Um, that is a, definitely a factor to look at. Um, while that may not be reflected in the labor market information currently, especially if it's a new industry, uh, a new type of company, a new technology, would still be something that would be factored in in designing a, a in deciding and determining a CTE program of study. So local wisdom has a place in this conversation as well. Um, the labor market information is critical so that you are allowing students to not only enjoy what they're learning in school, find their passion, but then also be able to matriculate that into either post-secondary or directly into the workforce, or um, depending upon their path in life, setting them up for success um, you know, at multiple entry and exit points in their career. So I want to take a second. You mentioned that if a new company is coming in, they may have tons of openings that may not be directly reflected in the current labor market data, but it's something you know is coming soon. Why is it important to focus on choosing occupations that have a large number of job openings? You definitely want to prepare students. Um, it goes back to my last response, but let me clarify a little bit. So um, you want to prepare students for things that they're passionate for and occupations that they're going to enjoy. The occupation alignment to the course sequences um, will help students understand that there is a plan for what they're doing. In addition to having the plan and executing the plan, we want there to be enough openings in the local market or at least in the state or in the country to um, essentially justify why we would offer that program. Um, there's nothing worse than, and I, and I hate to hear the stories of, you know, students and sometimes it's usually young adults who have just, um, you know, moved on to either workforce uh, straight out of high school. And they're going back to a technical school um, and they're pursuing something that, you know, definitely is is highly advertised on TV and radio and um, definitely appears to be marketable and needed. And then to come and find out, you know, hopefully not, but find out after they've either worked on or completed some coursework that the growth for that occupation or our set of occupations isn't there. And so it's critical that you look at growth in order to determine the right fit for a program of study offering. Um, growth is one factor in the labor market information, but it's a huge factor. It's one thing to um, talk about annual wage, talk about um, the prevalence of the job in the market, but it's another thing to look at the growth over the next, I would say, you know, 10 years is typically the projected time. Um, and then notice that 
within that time, they're only looking for maybe, you know, five to six percent growth in that area. That's not going to sustain, um, especially if you have a popular program of study, that's not going to sustain the students moving into the workforce. Awesome. Thank you for that. Um, outside of growth and number of occupations, what other things do you look at when you're determining what coursework you're offering for high school students today? I would say there's several factors there. Um, you're looking at labor market information. You're looking at local wisdom. Um, you're looking at course courses and a series of courses that is going to help students, um, I, I, for lack of a better word, grow in their learning. Um, they're going to improve and um, stack uh, not only um, skill sets and skills from course to course, but hopefully eventually maybe some experiences and credentials um, throughout that program of study. So you're looking at labor market information, but you're also looking at um, anything involved in what that program would entail to run. And that can be from space to um, uh, faculty, to the cost to run an effective program of study of that size and stature. Um, materials, especially nowadays, uh, I think everybody's experiencing, you know, the, the hurt of inflation. Um, you know, education is no different. And so um, you have to be really cognizant when you're considering programs of study that you can sustain it, um, both with a healthy budget um, with to have the latest and greatest or closest to in technology to um, be able to have enough staff members to teach the students that are interested. Um, you need to take a look at, uh, you know, labor market information. You also need to take a look at, um, again, you know, along the lines with the reality of a student being able to utilize that skill set in the workforce. And so again, growth is a factor. Um, annual wage is a factor. So um, there's a there's a wide variety of of factors that go into determining a program of study. It's not always just about what the students are interested in or what is the latest and greatest. That may not be the best fit. It may not be the best fit for your community based upon cultural and community beliefs. So there's a lot of factors that go into that. Great, thank you. So one of the things that I really want to do is help students and even adult job changers look at pathways and opportunities that may be um, lower on the time commitment for post-secondary education or upskilling or training. So when you think about the programs that your school offers um, and you're thinking about the post-secondary education requirement, what are two or three of the top areas that you would steer a student toward? Is your question related to a student that may go directly into workforce or may do some on-the-job training? So I think um, yes, or a student who is wanting to do maybe two years of post-secondary education talks once they leave. Got it. Um, in our local area, we have a um, large community college. We actually have several. Um, and uh, they've been doing a lot of great work to hone in on um, high need areas for the local market. 
And so if I were to advise a student, one of the ways I would advise would be to um, think through, obviously, programming and currently what's available um, at the high school level. Um, my hope would be that there would be the opportunity in some cases where they could earn um, maybe some of that college credit or even workforce credit while they're in high school um, that would lead them into whether that's a two-year associate's degree or, again, you know, a workforce certificate um, to help them get those entry-level skills needed. So one of the recommendations I would make to a person is to investigate your local community colleges, your technical schools, um, some of those opportunities you know, it, at this day and age have been funded or continue to fund be funded by industry. Industry is really understanding that there needs to be a solid pipeline. And it always doesn't feed directly from having a four-year bachelor's degree. And so being able to um, look into the opportunities that your community college or technical school can provide, along with any type of internship or apprenticeship, I think is critical for somebody who's entering the workforce because um, there is funding out there, both from the various states and industry, that I think is really making a huge dent in a student utilizing that pipeline to get to work and not have to sit on um, years and years of debt in order to successfully start making money. That is a really awesome point. I really appreciate that you brought up the fact that there is funding out there. Uh, most states have a workforce commission or a workforce development board that do have the opportunity for students to capitalize on um, scholarships or child care in some instances if needed. So that's really a great point. With your students specifically, what programs of study do you see a really high interest that you think are also going to continue to have a large number of job openings in the next three, four, or five years? The top two that come to mind are actually the top three. Uh, and I don't think there'll be any surprise to anybody. Um, healthcare, um, information technology or technology, and manufacturing. Um, I think, you know, when you look at the United States in general, um, there are a lot of needs and there are still some needs that that will continue to be large. Um, and some of those will be um, in the hospitality and retail world. So I would never um, not you know, advise the student to look into those opportunities as well. But when I think of a um, viable career for a young person who um, is looking to you know, start their life out, um, have a sustainable wage, um, have a lot of different opportunities, not only to get their foot in the door, but then eventually build a career. Uh, those three industries um, really seem to stick out. Awesome. Thank you. And I'm just going to ask one more question, and that is, what advice would you give to a young job seeker? If I were a young job seeker and I was, let's say, still um, exploring options, so I hadn't graduated high school yet, um, but was interested in, you know, kind of trying to figure out what I was passionate about. Um, I would 
recommend definitely um, reaching out to the high school counselor, um, being able to talk with them, talk with some of your teachers that you respect. Um, if you're already in CTE courses, ensuring that, you know, you that is th those courses are your, you, what you're interested in um, and being able to talk with teachers about their path and um, doing some research. Uh, I think you mentioned earlier, I, I can't remember if you did or didn't, but um, the Bureau of Labor Statistics um, has a wonderful resource and it's been around for many years and it's the Occupational Outlook Handbook. Um, it used to be, a, a it, it still is a large handbook, but of course it's online now. Um, and that's kind of my go-to whenever anyone, whether they're a young job seeker or a someone looking for a career change, um, that resource is critical. It's going to give you the most up-to-date data on growth, um, on educational requirements and things like that. Um, I would also encourage a young job seeker to take some type of aptitude test um, to really think through what they're good at. And not only think through it um, and talk to your parents and, you know, talk to folks that know you, community members and friends that know your strengths and weaknesses, but really think through and, and kind of look at some testing as to what you could be successful at. Um, sometimes folks can recognize that in a young person, and sometimes it takes a little bit of investigating to find that out. And so... Um, I guess I could wrap it all up by saying utilizing your resources. Um, it's not just going to always come to you. You have to seek it out. And so if you're really trying to find a good fit, if you know, you're interested in making money, but you also want to enjoy going to work or at least um, tolerate it, then I would recommend um, you know, utilizing your resources um, and, and really trying to hone in on what you think uh, might be a good fit for your personality and your skill set. Avery, I cannot tell you what a great segue that is for the rest of this episode. What we're actually going to dive into is looking at your labor statistics, looking at ONET online, and figuring out how to actually utilize those resources to determine what steps may be next for, for those out there listening to this. I really want to thank you for your time today. It was great to see you and great to catch up with you um, and really enjoyed hearing your wisdom on this subject. So thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It was great. LMI or labor market information is a lot to process, especially for beginners. To help with this, I've noted some helpful websites in the show notes. I've also created some resources to help you work through the information, specifically focusing on the careers that might align best to your specific circumstances. Feel free to pause while you pull those up or come back and listen again with them in hand or even just skip that piece. The first site that I want to call attention to is the Bureau of Labor Statistics. This is a division of the Federal Department of Labor. The best data that you can pull from this site is the number of job openings for a specific occupation, as well as the mean and median wage. So let's talk about that for a second. Think back to somewhere around junior high math. Mean is the average of a group of numbers, and median is the middle number if all the numbers were lined up in the lowest to highest order. 
Between these two, where do you think that we should focus? Median. While meet or average will give you an idea of what an occupation can earn, it takes into account all of the folks in their very first year of work, as well as all of those who have made a full career. And it gets a bit of a skewed view of what you should expect to earn. When we look at the median, however, it takes all salaries at all levels into account. It's unlikely that one would start at this salary, but it does give you a great picture of what you normally could expect throughout a career within this occupation. The next site I want you to check out is ONET. This is another product of the Department of Labor, and it is much more user-friendly and intuitive to navigate. What you'll be looking at on ONET is career demand as well as skills that are pertinent to the career. Why does that matter? Well, you can be as prepared and trained for a job as you can be, but if there isn't a job open to be hired for, you're still up a creek. And as far as skills go, this will help you match your natural talents and preferences to the bulk of responsibilities for a job. What is that quote? Love your job and never work a day in your life? Well, matching skills to talents and preferences gets you just a bit closer to that direction. Is this a lot to digest? Absolutely. Like I mentioned earlier, LMI is a concept and learning how to utilize it is a huge undertaking and it won't happen for you overnight. To help you process, I've created a worksheet. Download that in the link in the show notes. Another resource that I've created for you to grab is a compilation of BLS and ONAT data. I geeked out on some VLOOKUP formulas and converted them to a PDF for you to use. When you're looking at this sheet, you can note that the areas in green are either high wage or in demand based on that column. So let's take a minute to talk about high wage and in demand. One of my most used phrases when I'm working with my teacher advisors and my counselors is that they should focus on pointing students toward in demand and high wage. But what does that even mean? While recalling the median wage that we spoke of earlier, it means above the median. So based on all of the occupations nationwide, anything over the median of wages would be high wage. Anything over median for growth, which is based upon projected openings per year, would be considered in-demand. While in-demand high wage isn't the end-all be-all, it is a great place to start. ONET goes even further, and they create something on the job outlook noting specific careers that have a bright outlook. This means that they either have a large number of openings currently, or they have a large number of projected openings in the near future. But how do you know that what's on ONET is the same job that you're looking at on BLS? Well, there's a code for that. You'll notice on the list that I've created for you, there's a SOC code for each occupation. SOC stands for Specific Occupational Classification. This is a number that's tied to all occupations for reporting purposes which is how we can gather wage data to like what is provided from BLS. The next thing I want you to notice on ONET is all the info that they give you on a specific job occupation. Here in Texas and really across the United States, manufacturing is huge and will not be slowing down anytime soon. So based on that, I'm going to walk you through a manufacturing occupation. For this example, I chose industrial engineering technologists and technicians. This might not sound related to manufacturing, but I promise it is. There are a number of job postings by different names, and it will vary by company. However, the SOC code is what we know gives us consistency in what we're talking about. In this instance, the SOC code is 
0.0. The ONET link to what I'm looking at while talking through this is below in the show notes, so I definitely suggest clicking on that link to follow along if possible. Additionally, I'm going to post um, some clips to YouTube so that you're able to see in action what I'm looking at as I'm talking through this information. So ONET has a page like this for every occupation. The amount of information on this site is just mind-boggling. At the top of the page, you'll see the title and SOC code. Below that, you'll see a number of titles that may also be used interchangeably with this one in the industry under a section called Sample of Reported Job Titles. Following, you will see multiple tabs, all with so much info. You don't need all of it, so don't let it overwhelm you. The main areas I would review include tasks that give you an idea of the day in the life of this occupation, such as the detailed work activities that tell you where this role specifically fits into this task, and what repetitive tasks you'd be performing day in and day out. Further down, you'll see something called the job zone, training credentials, and apprenticeship opportunities. These will all give you details on the level of education and training that are needed and where you can find learn and earn opportunities like apprenticeships for this role. Finally, I would look at interests, work styles, and related occupations. These sections will give a general idea of the type of personality traits or talents that fit well with this occupation, as well as other similar occupations. The other occupations can be particularly helpful if you're interested in something with more or less training, a higher wage, or some other difference. So at this point, you should have a few things filled out on your worksheet. You should know that in-demand occupations are those that have a bright outlook according to ONED or are above the median demand for growth in your area. You should know that high-wage occupations are those that are higher than the median wage for your area. You should know that ONET is a federally maintained website that has a wealth of information about all occupations, including growth, wages, work activities, skills, and education and training requirements. You should know that a SOC stands for Specific Occupational Classification, and that a SOC code tracks occupations so that this type of information can be gained. Now let's look at that last file on page one this is where you come in. First, check out the in-demand high-wage occupation list that I pulled together for this episode. Choose a handful of occupations that sound interesting to you and look through those sections that I noted on ONET. You can search by the occupation title or the SOC code. Take a few notes as you go over these, really focusing on what the skills and educational requirements are. Once you have a good handle on this, look at page two of the worksheet. This is where you really put your thinking in. Check out the Venn diagram on page two and see where the three aspects of a solid career can come into play. What are your specific talents? What are your interests? And how do these link up with the occupations that you've researched? I sincerely hope that you gained some value from this episode and I can't wait to see you back next week. Don't forget to check out the show notes. This is where you'll find the link to download the labor market data and the accompanying worksheet. Thanks for spending your time with me. Theme music is Finding Freedom by Paula.